This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, once again, due to a couple of lengthy shows, there's no time for chatter, so let's get at her. From 1944, here's the Jack Benny Show. The Great That's the Great That's Blake program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> When you stay at a hotel and leave word to be called in the morning, and the operator says, uh, 7.30, time to get up. Well, 10 to 1, you just yawn and feel sort of grumpy. But if that operator said, 7.30, time for a delicious grape nuts breakfast, well, I bet you'd jump out of bed with a grin. Yes, sir, crisp, crunchy grape nuts or toasty brown grape nut flakes make a mighty cheerful start for any morning. For both grape nuts and grape nut flakes have a malty rich, sweet as a nut flavor that sure hits the old spot. And both bring you important whole grain nourishment. Iron, niacin, vitamin B1, plus protein. The kind of nourishment nutrition experts say you need as a part of your adequate breakfast every day. So eat a good breakfast, do a better job. And for good cheer and good nourishment, feature malty-rich grape nuts or grape nut flakes to swell breakfast treats. <laughs> Gentlemen, Jack Benny's troop has been away for five weeks during service camps throughout the Pacific Northwest. Jack arrived home late last night and went straight to bed. It's now morning, and Rochester is entering his bedroom to awaken him. Come on, come on, Bertie. You have to get off of Mr. Benny's head. I gotta wake him up now. Uh-oh, he's dreaming he's playing the violin again. How can a man 
Who? Who's who? Huh? It's just me, boys. I had to do that to wake you up. Oh. Oh, oh. You know, Rochester, when I get in the arms of Morpheus, old Morph sure holds on. <laughs> Say, I'm pretty sharp this morning, eh? Hey, eh, Rod? Yeah. You not only talk in your sleep, you hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, nothing. Say it's after nine o'clock and your gang will be here pretty soon for rehearsal. Yeah, stand back, Rochester. I want to do my exercises. One, two, three, four. Bend down and touch the floor. One, two, three, four. Up again and down some more. One, two, three. Rochester, pick up my toupee. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Did you pick up my toupee? One, two, three, four. Call it before it hits the floor. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Tomorrow I'll do a little more. One. Gee, boys, you're doing your exercise much better these days. You touch the floor every time you bend. Yeah. Now help me up off my knees. <laughs> Thanks. Now, Rochester, I'll take my shower and you go down and make breakfast. <laughs> I call a swell breakfast, Rochester. I know, Mr. Benny, and I admire your loyalty to your sponsor, but don't you think that sometimes you go a little too far? What do you mean? Well, after all, for soft-boiled greatness. <laughs> Rochester, they're good any way you fix them. They're toasty brown, they're malty rich, they're sweet as a nut, they're a whole grain cereal, and they're a basic seven food. And they're all... Boy, stop reading off the box and talk to me. Rochester, <laughs> I'm really trying to show you that you need a whole grain cereal every day, and you should eat them. Oh, boss, I do. I do. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> glad because, uh... Now answer the door, Rochester. You straighten up the kitchen. Uh, if you wish, I'll answer the door and you can... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it my way. Today. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Hiya, Jackson. Well, Phil, hey, rehearsal isn't for an hour yet. What are you doing here so early? Well, I just couldn't wait. I had to tell you. Tell me what? Well, you remember when we were in Victoria, Canada, and all the newspapers printed stories that me and Alice had another baby? Yeah, what about it? Well, it's true. It's true. <laughs> My new baby is the cutest thing you ever laid eyes on. Yeah? Does she look like you, Phil? Yeah. Guys, she's beautiful. <laughs> well, I can understand that, Phil. After all, you're such an Adonis. Ain't I, though? Hmm. But you know what surprised me most of all, Jackson? What? Little babies are so young. Yeah. Especially the young one. <laughs> and my kid is so tiny. All babies are tiny when they're first born. How about Don Wilson? Look, Phil, Wilson wasn't born. He was assembled at Lockheed. <laughs> Speaking of the flying fortress, here he comes in for a landing. Wilson is the only guy I know that comes in on the beam and brings the beam with him. <laughs> hello, Don. Oh, hello, Jack. Am I in time for rehearsal? Oh, sure. Mary isn't here yet. 
Say, fellas, while we're waiting, uh, would you like a cup of coffee? Yeah, I don't mind. Well, thanks, Jack. I'll have a cup. All right, yes, sir. Yes, boss. All right, yes, sir. Coffee for Mr. Wilson and Mr. Harris. Okay. Sugar and cream, gentlemen? Yes, yes thank, thank you. you. Uh, sit right down here, fellas. Would you like some toast with your coffee? No, no. thanks. Uh, wheat rolls or donuts? No, no thanks. thanks. <laughs> All right, yes, sir. Turn on the radio. Would you like some music, fellas? No, oh, it doesn't make any difference. Oh, yes, it does, with music and the 30% entertainment tag. <laughs> Rochester, that's not my fault. It's a government regulation. Now, turn on the radio and let's have some music. And as our Melody Express rambles southward and approaches New Orleans, our quartet, High, Low, Jack, and Shapiro, will entertain you with... Way down yonder in New Orleans, in the land of dreamy sea, there's the Garden of Eden. That's what I mean. Do your babies with spice and rice, soft and whisper with tender sighs. Oh, won't you give your ladies there a little smile? Ah, you bet your life to linger there when you hear the band from Dixie. Way down yonder. Go look at the way, way, way down yonder. Way down yonder in the Fellas, that's a pretty good quartet. Yeah, I wonder what program that is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel tired, worn out, dull, listless, and logy? You do? Well, don't expect any sympathy from me. I'm a louse. <laughs> but you can get sympathy from my sponsor, the makers of Sympathy Soothing Syrup. Remember, folks, sympathy, spelled backwards, is yatapapus. <laughs> So, folks, if you can't remember sympathy, just think of Yatapamus. Y-A-T-A-P-M-Y-S. Yip, yip, Yatapamus. Yip, yip, Yatapamus. Yip, yip, Yatapamus. Ride your cruise away. Turn, uh, turn off the radio, Rochester. Yatapamus. I'll have to try some of that. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, fellas. Hi, oh, Mary. How are you? Mary, how'd you get in the house? The door is open. Am I late for rehearsal? No, we've got plenty of time. I overslept. Rochester, get Miss Livingston a cup of coffee. Yes, sir. No cream, no sugar, no radio. <laughs> okay, okay. Say, Mary, how do you feel after our long trip? Oh, fine, Don. And say, fellas, I must tell you something. I had the wildest dream last night. <laughs> What was it, Mary? Well, I dreamt we were all flying back from Seattle, and Jack was the pilot. Me? Yeah. And right in the middle of the trip, when we were 15,000 feet in the air, you stopped the plane, turned to me, and said, Mary, either kiss me or get out and walk. Really? Yeah. And if it wasn't a dream, I'd have broken my neck. (laughs) What a silly dream. Me, a pilot, trying to force you to kiss me. And that's not all. 
out of the plane, I kept falling, falling, and falling. And just as I was about to hit the ground, another plane came along, and I dropped right into it. And guess who the pilot was? Who? You again. (laughs) Me? So I jumped out and fell right into a wagon load of fish. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) You look so funny lying there with your mouth wide open. making up the whole thing. I am not. Come on, Jackson. Let's get started with our rehearsal. We're going to be late for the broadcast. Okay, where do I get the script? Oh, say, Jack, before we start, I want to call home. My trunk is supposed to arrive today, and I forgot to tell Butterfly about it. Okay. Operator? Oh, operator, get me Crestview 67071. Oh, no, you don't. What? You heard me. Now, look here, operator. Will you please... Oh, I forgot, Mary. Mary, give me the phone. Hello, operator. Yes? This is J.B., O.K., one local. Uh, put it, uh, put it through. Yes, Mr. Betty, and welcome home. Thank you, thank you. Here you are, Mary. She's getting your number. Okay. because I had it sent C-O-D. How do you pronounce that name? <laughs> Butterfly, C-O-D is not a name. It means cash on delivery. Like O-P-A means Office of Price Administration. And F-B-I means Federal Bureau of Investigation. My goodness. You have to go through all that just to get a trunk? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Butterfly. I was just giving an example of what certain groups of letters mean. Well, Miss Livingston, the only letters I know are A-W-O-L. <laughs> You know what A-W-O-L means. Yes, ma'am. Well, what does it mean? Jerome is in town. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, Butterfly, let's forget about Jerome for a minute. I guess I'll have to forget about him. He came in town last week and went out with another girl. Oh, that's too bad. I wouldn't mind if he was half as pretty as I am. Oh. But I'm not half as pretty as he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, Butterfly. Jerome will come back to you. Do you really think so? Well, certainly. Maybe Jerome isn't himself right now. You see, Butterfly, everybody has two sides. The good side and the bad side. And once in a while, the good side weakens a little and the bad side predominates. You know what I mean? I think I do, Miss Livingston. When Jerome brings me a box of candy, it's his good side that brings me. That's right. But before I even get a chance to taste it, his bad side predominates the whole box. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you see, Butterfly, Jerome has two sides. Yes. Half wolf and half (laughs) sheep. Well, something like that. Now, goodbye, Butterfly. Don't forget to pay for the truck. I won't. Goodbye, Miss Livingston. You know how to handle her. I certainly got to hand it to you, Mary, giving Butterfly all that hooey about the good side and the bad side. Well, that's not hooey, Jack. Mary's right, Jack. Everybody has two sides. 
Don, you've got four sides, but that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> Two sides. Well, now, this is just what I mean, Jack. You know, everybody has a split personality. It's called uh, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia? Yes, it's... Is it uh, like your tapamist or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, schizophrenia, it's, it's, well, it's that little man inside of all of us that subconsciously governs everything we do. So, you see, Jack, everybody is really two persons. Oh, I don't believe that stuff. He's right, Jackson. Even you have a dull personality. <laughs> that duo, duo. <laughs> Maybe you believe in that, Phil, but not me. Well, certainly I believe in it. I got two sides to me, too. Oh, There's one side to me that everybody knows. Harris, the show-off, the guy that loves himself, the guy that always wants to be in the limelight. That side I know. Now, what... what... <laughs> What? What's the other side? Harris, the genius. <laughs> a fine genius. You're the only guy I know who sent flowers to Flat Top Funeral. <laughs> Besides one girl in the time. Now, let's cut out this silly talk about people having two sides and get started with our rehearsal. Jack, it's not silly talk. Even you have two sides. Oh, what do you mean? Well, generally, you're a nice fellow. But on the other hand, look at the way you treat Rochester. I never saw anybody get so much out of a butler for so little. Now, are you suggesting that I overwork Rochester and underpay him? That's what she said. That's what the lady said. She said that. <laughs> Rochester, this doesn't concern you. Now, come on, kid. Let's cut out all this gab about two sides and get started with the rehearsal. First thing you know, we'll be late for the... Come in. Yes? Remember me? <laughs> I'm Herman Peabody, the insurance salesman. Oh, hello, Herman! Well, Herman... We just started to rehearse our program for this afternoon. We're awfully busy, so better you, maybe you better come back some other time. All right. Don't need any insurance, do you? Not right now. We'll, we'll talk about it the next time you come around. All right. Now, fellas, at the start of the program, right after Don introduces me... You know, you have a lot of funny experiences in the insurance business. Uh, I don't doubt it, Herman. I don't doubt it. But, but right now... Last week, a man wanted oh. some life insurance, and by mistake, I sent him an automobile policy... Well, then, instead of being here, Herman, why aren't you out rectifying the mistake? Too late. The man died. <laughs> well, that's a fine how do you do. How do you do? <laughs> I don't mean that. Look, <laughs> Herman, I'm thinking of the man's wife. Now, her husband wanted some life insurance. You gave him a policy for an automobile. The company wouldn't pay off on a thing like that. Oh, they wouldn't at first, but I fixed it. What do you mean? I told the company he died of a rusty transmission. <laughs> you mean to say the company paid off? More than that. They offered to send his wife a new body, but she wouldn't take it. Oh, well, look, Herman, I told you I'm busy right now. Look, we got to rehearse, so come back some other time, will you? Right. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come here, Herman. I want to ask you something. Yeah? Uh, you're a mild-mannered man, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, every day you do exactly the same things, don't you? Uh-huh. I mean, you never lose your temper, do you, Herman? 
Oh, no. There you are, Mary, and you too, Don. Your whole theory of dual personalities exploded. You can go now, Herman. Would you like to hear about my other side? <laughs> what? There's another side of me that's a mean, conniving, bloodthirsty monster. Er... <laughs> Bloodthirsty monster? Did you ever hear of Dracula? Yes. Good stuff. <laughs> now, look, Herman, 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 you can go now. We have work to do. Okay, I'm going outside and frighten people. Boom! Don. Don, pick him up and let's go on with the rehearsal. All this silly business about two sides. Hey, Jackson, it's getting pretty late. Maybe we ought to go over to the studio. Okay, let's do that. Come on, Mary, I'll drive you over. talk about split personalities and two sides. It's ridiculous. All right, Jack. You don't believe it. Forget about it. Let's get the studio. Hmm. Two sides. Jack! Jack, I'll fold your arms and put it back on the wheel. Don't worry. My, my, my other side is driving. My other side is driving. Be careful, too, you know. Oh, uh, don't be so sarcastic. Well, what are you stopping here for? I'm going into the cigar store. I'll be right out. Hmm. Split personality little man inside you. What bunk? Well, sir, what can I do for you? Uh, I'd like a cigar, please. Yes, sir. What kind? Oh, I don't know. I see you haven't got the kind I smoke. I just want something mild. Well, here's a nice mild cigar for a quarter. A quarter, eh? And here's one a little stronger for ten cents. I see. Gee, I don't know which one to get. This one's a quarter... And that one's ten cents, eh? Yes, sir. Well, I don't know. I like the looks of that quarter one. And yet... You know which cigar you're going to take, Jack, Jimmy. What? You're going to take the ten cent one. You are. Yes, but the, the quarter cigar is, is milder, and it's, it's much better for my throat. A lot you care about your throat. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, take the ten cent one, and let's get going. No, no, I won't take it. I want the quarter one, do you hear? I want that quarter cigar. I know you want the quarter cigar, but remember, Jack Benny, if you buy the you save 15 cents. Uh, 15 cents, 15 cents, 15 cents, and that ain't paid. 15 cents, and that ain't paid. 15 cents. Stop it! Stop it! I don't care about the money. I don't care what I say. I want the mild one. Hey, mister, give me that quarter cigar. Yes, sir. 
sleep. Make up your mind, will you? Which cigar do you want? Take it easy. I'm in conference. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to do. I want the quarter one. And yet... You know what you're going to do, Jack Benny. You never smoked a quarter cigar in your life, did you? Did you? Yes. Yes, I did. Not a new one. <laughs> It was a new one. What about that time Phil Harris threw a birthday party for me? I smoked three of them right in a row. Phil gave you those cigars. He did not. He did, too. You're a miter, you're a miter, you're a miter, you're a miter. Promo shelter, promo shelter, promo shelter. Stop, stop, stop. You get your peppermint, you get your peppermint. You get your peppermint, signs your blues, they win. Get away from me. Get away from me. You know I'll go crazy. Will you please decide which cigar you want? There's another customer waiting. Yes, I'd like to buy a pipe, please. Well, I only have two kinds. Here's one that sells for $8, and this one's 15 I'll take the $15 pipe. Here you are. Thank you very much. And now what about you, Sporty? <laughs> what? Have you made up your mind yet? You know, I closed at midnight. Well, look. <laughs> Clerk, give me, give me just another minute. I'll decide. 
you say that? Well, I was just coming to that. Grape nuts make a grand basic breakfast dish, and everybody should eat... Everybody should eat a good breakfast to a better job. Did you say that? I was going to say it, Herman. And grape nuts are a swell thrifty. They're a thrifty boy in a big little 12-ounce package. Now, listen, Herman. I want you to solve a mystery for me. If you know all about delicious, malty-rich grape nuts, why don't you see that your wife eats them for breakfast? Why, she does, Mr. Wilson. That's just the trouble. She's so busy enjoying her grape nuts, she won't talk to me. Oh, I see. Well, Herman, there's no mystery about that. Goodbye, now. Well, folks, this concludes another half hour. We'll be with you next Sunday night at the same time. Say, Mary, what'd you think of the show? Pretty good. I wish my mother had heard it. Why, doesn't she listen to our program? Yeah, but she always tunes out early. How early? About November. <laughs> oh, then maybe she missed it. I know. Good night, folks. Stay tuned for the new show, The Sealed Book, from Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. I want to thank Dawn Baxter, who suggested I check this series out. She's right, it is kind of scary. And, and don't let the lengthy organ pieces throw you. At first you might think, okay, enough already. But I thought it kind of grows on you. Well, here is The Hands of Death on the Sealed Book series. <laughs> the Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to unlock the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the lore and learning of the ancients. All the strange and mystifying stories of the past, the present, and the future. this time. First, I must unlock the great padlock, which keeps the sealed book safe from prying eyes. 
<laughs> now, what story shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind. Tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, and of events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> there. Now let me see. Yes. yes. Here's a tale for you. A dark story of two brothers. One of them killed because he could not help himself. The other one was interested in murder, too, but in a very different way. The title of the tale is The Hands of Death. <laughs> Here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. It began in San Francisco on a night of thick suffocating fog. A young man hurrying homeward turns a corner and bumps abruptly into a huge figure striding toward him. Oh, oh. oh excuse me. Fog is so thick I didn't see you. It's all right. Uh, tell me, do you live here? Hmm? Here in San Francisco? Why? Well, yes, I do. Do you know where Edward Morlock lives now? Why, no, I... No, I never heard of him. Now, if you'll excuse uh, me... But, wait. But I, I've really got to get home. I and... just want a light from your cigarette. Oh, of course. Here, I'll hold it for you. Uh, just hold it like that. <laughs> what is it? What's the matter? Nothing. It... It's nothing. It's my hands, isn't it? They frightened you. No. No, it's, it, it's nothing. My hands, they disgusted you. No, no, of course not. They frightened you because they're not like other people's hands. No, no, no let go of me. I assure you that... I you I, thought I was a freak. Let go of me. You're crazy. You, I'm not crazy, do you hear? I'll show you. No, no. I'll show you. <laughs> Phantom Strangler is at work in San Francisco. Hmm. Jennings will be interested in that. I beg your pardon, <laughs> Mr. Morlock. Huh? Oh, yes, Jennings? Uh, the postman just brought this package, sir. Oh, package, eh? Give it to me. Yes, sir. Now we'll be over to the window. Of course. Ah, this is close enough, Jennings. Uh, this package, I suppose you noticed it came from my agent in New York? Yes, sir, I did. Then perhaps you can guess what's in it. Hey, Jennings. No, sir, but I have no doubt it's another nice addition to your collection of objects having to do with famous murders, sir. <laughs> yes, indeed, a nice addition. But speaking of murders, uh, have you seen this morning's San Francisco paper yet? No, sir. Well, look at these headlines. Uh, read them out loud. Playboy murdered in fog. Phantom strangler breaks victim's neck. <laughs> Then he's back. Your brother Kane is back. Yes, back in San Francisco, looking for me. And he'll keep looking for you. 
And if he finds you, he'll kill you. Yes, he's dedicated his life to that purpose. And all because he feels I cheated him out of his share of the money our father left us. Oh, it's a great pity. Yes, sir. Of course, we know the truth. Quite so. As you say, we know the truth. However, I hardly think Cain will find me here. No, sir. So we'll forget about him. Uh, Jennings, tomorrow afternoon, a neighbor is dropping in for tea. A neighbor, sir? Yes, Inspector Tennant, the head of the local police force. He's coming to view my little collection. Of course, sir. He may bring a friend with him. So have plenty of everything? Yes, sir. Well, that's all. What are you waiting for? Excuse me, sir, I... I wanted to speak to you about this check you gave me yesterday for my month's salary. Well, what about it? It's for the usual 500, isn't it? Yes, sir, but uh, you see, Mr. Morlock, I, I've been thinking in these times I ought to have more. More? Just how much do you consider your services worth, Jennings? Shall we say a thousand a month? A thousand a month? It's quite reasonable, I think. After all, if I were to tell the authorities all I know about your father's will... And how it happened that the entire fortune came to you and none to Cain. Never mind, Jennings. I'll make out another check. Thank you, sir. But be careful you don't drive me too far. You may regret it. Oh, I think I'll be safe enough, Mr. Morlock. After all, confined to that wheelchair as you are, you need me. That's enough. Go get your check later. Yes, sir. Very good, Mr. Morlock. So you're getting greedy, are you, Jennings? I must find some way to discourage you. Yes. Some way to discourage you. <laughs> the next afternoon, Edward Morlock, the strange crippled collector of murder relics, enjoyed himself thoroughly playing host to police inspector Tennant and Mr. Norman Smith, a criminologist friend of his. He began by showing them his latest acquisition, the one that had come by mail just the day before. And uh, now, gentlemen, look. Cashmere shawl? Yes, but no ordinary cashmere shawl. Until last month, it was owned by two very old sisters who lived in a dingy house in Baltimore. In Baltimore? Yes. You mean that's the shawl? Exactly, gentlemen. That's the shawl with which the two old ladies were strangled by a sneak thief. Well, I'll be darned. It's a prize worthy even of my collection, which is, I flatter myself, the most complete of its kind ever assembled. Funny hobby, I'd call it. <laughs> Every man to his taste, Inspector. Murder is your business, but it's my hobby. Now, if you just pull back those curtains there, the rest of my collection is on the shelves behind them. These curtains? That's right. <laughs> well, I'll be <laughs> This is most interesting, Mr. Morlock. Yes, I knew you'd think so. Look there on the wall. An authentic headsman's axe. It was used in the brutal murder of the Baron de Morley, uh, an ancestor of mine in the 15th century. And right there below it is the blood-stained dress worn by one of the victims of Jack the Ripper. And on the next shelf, you see...
so there, gentlemen, you have the highlights of my collection. How do you like them? Well, if that's the sort of thing you're interested in, I'll say your collection does seem complete. It is indeed. In fact, there's really nothing missing except perhaps a murderer and a victim. What did you say? That the only thing missing from your collection is a murderer and a victim. (laughs) The most interesting thought, Mr. Smith. And after all, why not? Why not what? Oh, excuse me, Inspector. I was just thinking out loud. Oh. Well, I'm afraid we've got to go now, Morlock. Eh, Smith? Yes, you're right, Inspector. It's been a great pleasure having you, gentlemen. And I do hope you'll call again. Yes, Mr. Morlock, you rang. Yes, Jennings. Before you help me to bed, I want you to mail these letters. Yes, sir. They are to major newspapers in San Francisco and contain a message to be inserted in their personal columns. A message? Yes, to my brother, Kane. We used to communicate this way in the past. But uh, uh, here is a copy of the message. You may read it. If the gentleman with the unusual hands will visit his brother in Santa Villa, he will learn something to his advantage. <laughs> You're inviting him here? Exactly. You've decided to play safe, to trap him, and turn him over to the police? <laughs> oh, that's clever of you, Jennings. Yes, very clever. But you've already proved you're clever, haven't you? Now, just take these letters out and mail them, and soon, quite soon, I think, we shall be seeing my dear brother Kane again.
now for the rest of my story, The Hands of Death, as it is written in the sealed book. After Edward Morlock had put into effect his plan to bring his brother Cain to him, he sat in his wheelchair and waited, seeming much amused at some secret thought of his own. One day passed, then two, then three, and then the newspapers carried strange new headlines. Extra, read all about it. Phantom Strangler in Los Angeles. Extra, read all about it. <laughs> so Brother Kane was in Los Angeles last night, Jennings. Yeah, he's getting closer. I shouldn't be surprised if he arrived here tonight. I, I don't like it. Oh, nonsense, Jennings. You know you've got nothing to fear from Kane. Unless, of course, you're so careless as to make some remark about his hands. I know, but he intends to kill you. I think I'll be able to control him. I want you to bring me a glass of milk. Cain is very fond of milk. Glass of milk? With a triple dose of sleeping powder in it. But I don't understand. Never mind, just do as I say. What's that? I imagine that's Cain now. Cain? Here, already? Quick, I'll let him in. You get that glass of milk ready. And bring it in when I ring. Yes, sir. When you ring, sir. Oh, come in, Kane. I've unlocked the window. Yes, how come in, Edward? Now that I've found you at last. Well, I'd hardly say you found me, Kane. Uh, I sent for you. It's the same thing. Now I'm where I can put my hands around your throat at last. I'm going to kill you. Do you hear? Kill you. Kane, sit down. What? Sit down. I want to talk to you. All right, I'll sit down. But You can't change my mind. Tell me, Kane. How many people have you killed since you got out of the penitentiary? Seven. Seven murders? They looked at my hands. They were disgusted. I didn't kill them. My hands did. You hear? I didn't want to kill them. But my hands killed them anyway. I, of course, I understand. Your hands. Your great-grandfather had hands like yours, you know, Cain. Don't talk about it anymore. Of course not, Cain. But you must be hungry. I'll ring for Jennings. He'll fix something for you. Yes, I am hungry. But please, Cain, don't startle the poor fellow... You know, he's very much afraid of you. Why? Why is he afraid of me? It's your hands. He says they give him nightmares. My hands give him nightmares? Oh, you mustn't blame him, Kane. He can't help you. My hands give him nightmares. Yes, sir. I've brought you a glass of milk, Mr. Morlock. My hands frighten me. Oh, thank you, Jennings. Uh, Just put it down here. Yes, sir. Uh, why are you looking at me like that, Jennings? I, I'm not looking at you, Mr. Kane. You're looking at my hands. They upset you. They give you nightmares. No, 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 Mr. Kane. That's not true. I'll show you. I'll give you a reason to be afraid of my hands. Mr. Mark, help me. I'll no. show you. I'll Let show you. Let go. You're you. kidding. Help. There. That'll teach you to be afraid of my hands. You can let him go now, Cain. He's dead. And my hands, 
Yeah, they've killed again. Yes, he's dead. Oh, you've been very wicked, Cain. I didn't want to kill him. My hands did it. My hands, you hear? You must be quiet now, Cain. You must rest. I didn't want to kill him. Here, drink this milk. Then lie down and rest for a while. We'll talk some more in the morning. All right. I'll drink it. I'll take care of everything. That's right, Cain. Lie back and sleep. Sleep soundly. <laughs> so you would blackmail me, would you, Jennings? And you would kill me, would you, Cain? But I've been too clever for both of you. <laughs> Hello. Hello, police headquarters. Connect me with Inspector Tennant, please. I want to report a murder. And so, there you are, Inspector. Kane was in the penitentiary for assault with intent to kill. Apparently, he escaped since then. He's been seeking for me meaning to kill me. Good heavens, Morlock. Then he's the strangler who's been doing all these killings. Yes, I'm afraid so. Oh, and I never guessed until he showed up tonight to kill me because he thought, you see, quite wrongly, that I had cheated him of his inheritance. Jennings bravely came to my rescue and Cain throttled him. Then I tricked Cain into drinking some drugged milk and... Well, there you are. But why, man? Why? Why did he kill all these people? Because of his hands. His hands? Well, you saw his hands. Tremendously strong. Not hands at all, really, but more like demon's claws. Cain is morbidly sensitive about his deformity. When he feels someone is frightened by his hands, he kills them. Just like that. It's a good thing we got him at last. You can take him along now quite safely. But be sure to keep him well locked up, Inspector. And don't let... Anyone get within reach of his hands. A few weeks later, Kane Morlock entered the lethal chamber of the state penitentiary. Edward Morlock, the condemned man's invalid brother, was one of the few spectators. Kane Morlock, with his last breath, cursed his brother and swore that someday he would be avenged. Then he died. The following day, Inspector Tennant and his friend Norman Smith paid Edward Morlock another visit. Oh, good evening, Inspector and Mr. Smith. It's very kind of you to stop by tonight. We dropped in to see how you were making out, Mr. Morlock. Thought maybe, what with your trip yesterday and the shock, that perhaps... No, 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 I'm quite all right, thank you. What must be, must be. You see, I'm a philosopher. You have somebody looking after you? Yes, Philippe, a Filipino boy is taking poor Jennings' place. Oh, and uh, gentlemen, that reminds me. I have something here that will interest you. Something that'll interest us? Yes, here on the table beside me, uh, this jar... A burial urn, isn't it, Mr. Morlock? Exactly. And in this burial urn are the ashes of poor murdered Jennings. 
Jennings' ashes. Yes. You mean you're going to keep them with you? But of course, gentlemen. I was very fond of Jennings, very fond. What more fitting than that I should keep his ashes to remind me of his years of faithful service. Besides, well, I can always look upon them as part of my little collection. Your collection? Yes, Inspector. It was Mr. Smith here who pointed out that complete as it was, it lacked both a murderer and his victim. Well, here are the ashes of the victim. Great heavens. That's <laughs> rather a unique item, Mr. Morlock. Yes, indeed, an item any collector would be proud of. But the really choice addition to my collection is here in this box, which just arrived. Uh, would you care to look at it, gentlemen? What in the world? Oh, now you needn't guess. I'll lift the lid and... Uh... See? Merciful heavens. A pair of hands. The hands of your brother Cain. Exactly. I can't believe it. But what is so strange about it, gentlemen? There are the ashes of a murder victim. Here are the unique and terrible hands that throttled him. Where in all the world will you find a collector who can boast such items as these? You must be mad. <laughs> Morlock, did you plan all this from beginning to end? Plan it, Mr. Smith. How could I? You're quite mad. We could never prove it. You could prove nothing. <laughs> nothing. Inspector, I think we'd better go. Yes. Come on, let's get out of here before I do something I'd regret. Call again any time, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Easily upset, weren't they, Kane? Upset by your hands. Your great, strong hands that are going to become the prize items of my little collection. The distorted hands of a murderer. Ooh, how cold they are. And yet I can almost feel the murderous strength in them still. You wanted so bad that you close your hands about my throat, didn't you, Cain? But it's too late now. You're dead. And your hands are dead, too. Lifeless. Would you like to see how your hands look at my throat here? I'll place them there for you. See how nicely they fit around my neck. Just as if they... No! Go with me. Your hands, they're choking me. I, I can't breathe. I... What is it? Where are you? Inspector, look. They're on the floor. Good Lord. It's Morlock. And... No. No, it can't be. His brother's hands had clutched around his throat. They've strangled him. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of the hands of death as it is written in the sealed book edward morlock was quite dead when they found him with his brother's severed hands about his throat but they called his death heart failure <laughs> For who would believe that two dead hands by themselves could wreak the vengeance that Cain Morlock swore to have before he died? <laughs> and perhaps it was heart failure. <laughs> perhaps Edward Morlock, thinking he felt the hands move, died of sheer terror. <laughs> 
<laughs> You'll have to decide for yourself which is true. The answer is not written here. But the sound of the great gong tells me I must lock the book once again. One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time? Next time? <laughs> Are you sure you want to know? Perhaps my next story will be about you. For I have here all the stories that ever happened, and many that have not yet come to pass. But I'll find one for you in just a moment. And now, keeper of the book, have you found the story that you'll tell us next time? Yes, yes, I found one. It's a story about a man who found the secret of immortality, of life everlasting, and how he tried to use it to make himself master of the earth. The title of the tale is The King of the World. Be sure to be with us again next time when the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from... <laughs> the Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Cloak and Dagger, followed by Milton Berle. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.